to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host in the city of Chicago. Joining us all the way from Rock Church, Tennessee, is Lee Younger. Greetings, and I am celebrating, or I'm trying to do my best impression of Jed Brewer by, I've, I'm surrounded by six different types of Cheetos and 14 different iterations of Mountain Dew. That's right. You didn't know there were that many iterations of Mountain Dew, and you had to go into Central America to get, to get some of them, but... yes. They are, yes. After two weeks uh, doing the two-man weave, uh, Jed has taken off for a uh, exclusive tour of Europe, Scandinavia, and the subcontinent. He will be okay. returning. I did have to look that up to make sure I got the Blues Brothers reference correctly, because if you don't, they make <laughs> you leave Chicago. That's how that works. That's, that's right. So Lee and I are holding down the fort in his stead. We will all be back together next week, and that's the plan anyway. Uh, but we've got some of your great questions. We've got uh, a Instagram slideshow that was sent in Ooh. by a super fan, and it is it is worthy of its own segment. And you will see why as we get there. <laughs> but first, I'm going to declare an Academy Awards emergency. Whoa, an Academy Award emergency. I'd like to thank the Academy for this emergency section. That's right. Hopefully it doesn't involve anybody getting smacked. Remember when that happened last year? We all just kind of like forgot about it, and that was. And and then going ahead and using it for your fodder for your next uh, stand up special. Yeah, I got smacked in the face on television, and I don't know how to feel about it yet. Forty minute stand up special. So yes, uh, we record. I think this will come out a week later. We're recording on the afternoon of the whatever uh, Academy Awards. If you're under the age of thirty, the Academy Awards are when they give people in movies you didn't see statues for being so good in the movies you didn't see. And they're like, but also we that's nominated right. Spider-Man, so you can't be mad at us. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I can't ever remember growing up ever uh, feeling as an audience member or as a movie watcher represented by the Oscars until I was in high school and Elliot Smith was perform- performing his song by himself on an acoustic guitar at the Oscars, which he had to be just as down fun, as dumbfounded as everybody else that he was there. But it was also the night that an entire symphony orchestra was behind Celine Dion as she sang My Heart Will Go On. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, won the award, although Miss Misery is a great song. Yes, indeed. I, one of the, the few reasons to check into the Oscars for me anyway is those moments like that with Elliot Smith where it's just... um. Yeah, they don't really want me here, and I don't really know I'm here either, but a bunch of agents got in a room, <laughs> yeah, and that's right. And here we are, so let's just be cool about it. But that being said, we, we wanted to look, as we often do on the show, to the Christian movie industry. Ooh. We looked, I looked up, and there are a couple of Christian movie award things, like nothing that rises to the to the level. There's something called the... Movie Guide Awards, which I think we may have looked at previously, which is about what you expect. There's the Plugged In Movie Awards for Best Christian Movies. I bet they're not. Okay. But that seems to be to be it. And they're basically um they're basically about what you'd expect. You know, they've got categories for most uplifting and that kind of thing, and uh best family movie, the Faith and Freedom Award which I don't oh, no. know what that could possibly mean. 
the I'm looking at movie guide, movieguideawards.com, their 2023 award winners. Uh at least three of which we made fun of on their own. Um just when we found out they were coming out. Things like your family camp. But the thing that won the Faith and Freedom Award television is something called a Walton's Thanksgiving. Again, oh, this man. is when you got to push up to maybe under the age of 40 if you didn't catch your reruns. The Waltons was like a I don't even know how to describe it. It was a it was like a a uh, a homestead era period uh TV show. Not really homestead, more like depression era, I guess, would be more yeah. accurate, right? Depression Very rural. Era. It was like Yellowstone if nothing interesting happened, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like very, and I, very countrified, but they just like learned moral certainly. lessons about community or something, I guess. Yeah, family and uh, yada yada. So my question is: one best family television program is did a Wal- did they make a new Waltons thing in 2023, or did they just give that to something that runs a bunch? <laughs> I'm looking it up. Oh, something that was. Something that was produced in 1983, and now yeah. in 2023, they're awarding it. So it looks like a Walton's Thanksgiving did get produced in 2022. It's holding at a very uh, very strong 5.8 out of 10 on IMDb. Okay. And uh, I don't... I can't, under, I can't figure out where it ran, but, well, good for them. Still getting work, getting award nominations. But we were looking at this and figured that the thing about this is they're just kind of in a way that we we kind of uh, bust on Christian media for doing a lot. They're just kind of taking the secular version of this and trying to plug in their own thing instead of doing something right. that makes them unique. So we've encountered a lot of Christian movies over the course of doing this podcast. You will notice that I said encountered and not watched because... yeah. One can only go so far. But there are some things that pop up here and there, and we thought maybe we could pitch in order to either launch a new one or get some of these awards ready for next year. You got a whole year. We could pitch some categories that would be unique to um, the Christian movie industry in the way that, I don't I think this is still a thing. There used to be MTV Movie Awards. Yeah, that's right. And they had to, like, throw in, like stuff the best kiss or best fight scene or like something that would like make it not feel old and stuffy. Yeah. There was a, I feel like there was a dance sequence award. Yeah. I think, you know, it was like the Pulp Fiction, you know, they they had the best dance, you know, how, what was that? 1996. Yeah. It was a very, it was an interesting beginning of a very, like the thing that made the most money for our advertisers and our target demographic, the MTV movie awards. But we were, we started to think of what could be some Christian movie award categories that would, you know, differentiate it, be unique to the, the foibles of, of Christian cinema. Um, so one that I I would pitch is, a starring, actor that makes you the most sad for remembering when they were popular. Ooh, yeah. So something that might star someone like Scott Baio, for instance. Yeah, like this person was on some pretty good sitcoms in the 90s. Yeah. And now they're doing this. Exactly. 40 years ago, this person was in an okay TV show. 
Yeah, the the what happened to you award, if you will. <laughs> that's that's it. That's it. I thought of one which was uh which uh, uh you know, I, I, and maybe you could help me come up with a title for this award, but I'm thinking of the the trope in a Christian movie where um there's the premise is something that would never happen in a million years, but it lets all the Christians get a, a have a great victory lap over a fictional thing. So like a kid goes to freshman philosophy class and the, um, and at college and the, and the teacher, you know, um, just, you know, gives this, uh, you know, this aggressive, hostile defense of materialism and atheism, um, and goes off on the Christian guy. Um, so, you know, a f- fictional scenario that we can take the biggest, that Christians take the biggest victory lap over. Yeah. Yeah. What was the one we, from, I think it's the first God's Not Dead, where it's like there's a m- yeah. Muslim woman, a young lady who like doesn't want to be Muslim, but she can't tell her abusive father. So she like retreats into her room and listens to the Forbidden Christian Sermon podcast. And it was like... <laughs> J.I. Packer or something. Yeah, right. the uh Yeah, some kind of and then everyone clapped award for, you know, the That's the right. Ben Shapiro Memorial and then I debated them award kind of thing. That's right. This is not a thing that happened. The fake Facebook post award. This this award has to be sponsored by Facebook, no matter what we call yes. it, because Yes, absolutely. The made up persecution scenario. For sure. Well, similar to that one, I like the um, the kind of pastor who's who is clearly funding part of this or their churches kind of self insert <laughs> award. Yeah, yeah. Of like, was it the first one with the guy? He's he's like fixing the. We, I forget we watched the one a million years ago, but the the guy is the pure flicks guy who like comes pure flicks, and the guy who's he's like uh, he's there on work release or something, and he's. Running this guy, like who's running this guy at the church, he's fixing the boiler, and he's like, "I guess I'm supposed to meet the stupid pastor." And the guy like, wipes the grease off his hands, like, "Well, that'd be me." <laughs> Just down here serving in yeah. the maintenance room, but I'm that's definitely right. a very, very important and well-educated man, as you can tell. Yeah, that's what that's what mega per- that's what mega church pastors do for sure. Is they're down there fixing the boiler. That's yeah. that's exactly the way that goes. The, the kind of pastor Mary Sue. Self insert situation. Yes, there's, um, there's, there's also the, um, like, like the best. I mean, you know, there's, there's obvious, like some real quick ones, like the best sweater award. Yeah, totally. You know, um, the, the, you know, the dumbest reason that a twenty plus year couple would be getting a divorce um, award. You know the the you know and it would, that award would be shaped like a pizza a piece of pizza I would think yeah similar to that one the most awkward insertion of Chick Fil A for no reason yes yeah um there's there I mean there has to be some kind of there has to be some kind of award for like the person who like um you know, in the midst of so many people deconstructing, they're like, they're still fighting the good fight award. They've like that, you know, they wrote the book, their book became a movie, this movie's out and they still actually are, you know, supposedly part of this religion. Yeah. The kind of everything's still fine. Everything's fine award. 
Yeah. <laughs> Shaped like that meme of the dog with everything on fire. <laughs> yes. It's going to be hard to get that into bronze, but, you know, we got a year. Yeah, we, we can make it work. Well, I think that the, the final run of categories is the ones that kind of get less play on your Oscars and Golden Globes, that kind of stuff. There's the technical awards. So most of those have a best cinematography. Maybe we could have a least jarringly bad cinematography because let's be <laughs> honest, best is. Yes. Maybe we yeah. could just give an award for a Christian movie with cinematography. <laughs> yes. And, and to that, to, to that end with what you're talking about with technical stuff, I think you have to have an award for like um, least bad, uh, you know, score being ripped off of other music genre. Yeah. Yeah, definitely the uh some kind of award for did you spend more than 40 minutes listening to a normal movie score and then just kind of changing enough notes to do this. That's that's it. I think that at the end of the award show, I think it'll be really fun to um and and jarring for those who would actually tune into this, but I think it'll be really fun to bring Jed on and let Jed give an actual award to a movie that um that actually said something helpful about about Christianity and the principles of Christ that was not made by Christians, not made for Christians, not made to say anything about Christianity, but did a better job of all those things than any Christian movie that was made. Yes, the uh the award for achievement in Christian messaging from zombie rom-coms. Exactly. Award. <laughs> yeah, the oops I did it again award. <laughs> well, I think we've got, you know, I think add a couple of uh, unfortunately long musical numbers and uh, some uh, asking, what are you wearing? Where the answer will invariably come back altered state or something <laughs> of the like. <laughs> and, and, and an unfortunate musical guest appearance by, you know, Chris Tomlin or whatever. Yeah. The, the unfortunateness of thinking of a world where this actually exists is that it has to be held in Nashville. Yes. And the, and the I'm just picturing a red carpet where every single woman walking down it is wearing that kind of big brown hat. <laughs> no matter what else they're wearing. That's right. So, you know. The, the almost comically Carmen Sandiego hat. And I yeah. apologize for a reference that only Matt and I will understand. Yes. Where in the world? Indeed. Well, I think we've, in a, a rare bit of, of goodwill... But from this show to the wider uh, Christian American culture, we've done something helpful. Yes. All it takes is a little investment and these, this group of people not taking themselves so seriously for one night. And I'm not wildly <laughs> optimistic. I don't think we're having a good chance of having that happen. <laughs> so on that upbeat note, we will declare emergency off. All right, we're moving to our first question here. If you have a question for us, hang on this all the way to the end. I'll give some ways to get in touch with us, or you can scroll down. In your episode description, wherever you're listening to this, and click the top two links you find there. First question comes in and says, How are we supposed to think about things God does that would be immoral or sinful if a person did them? Like a commandment is, Thou shalt not kill, but God flooded the whole earth and sent plagues. I think this is a, it's a great question. It's a big one. And uh, I, don't, I don't want to speak for Lee. I don't want to underestimate him. I don't want to give a spoiler. But I don't think we're going to come up with a definitive answer to this one yeah. uh, here on this show. But... If I had to guess, I might think this may be coming from a place of someone who has had some conversations with some 
some non-believer friends, maybe some deconstructing friends, or even uh, just seen it online. So I think this is a fairly common one in some spaces of kind of the gotcha response of, you know, no, you can't do that because you can't kill the babies. I'm like, well, uh, if we're just going by what's in the book, nobody's got a higher baby body count than God. So right, that's going to be a little a little rough to get around. But I think it is definitely just because we don't have a definitive answer, we're not going to come up with one to everyone's satisfaction. I don't think means this isn't worth looking at and thinking about for how we uh, wrestle with these kind of questions, think about these kind of things as people who uh, do subscribe to this belief system, who do think about this kind of stuff. So I, uh, with the understanding that it's a, a big multifaceted question, where might we start? I think I would start with um, exactly towards what you're, um, you're alluding to, Matt, which is just the idea that like, I can I can be a part of this belief system and I can follow Jesus without having a locked down perfect debate ending answer to every question that I don't understand. Um and that's okay. Um I, I think that what happens with a lot of folks is you know you get you you get into this whole Jesus thing, you get excited about it. There are some things about it that you see in yourself and other people that are exciting and that are good and that your life begins to change in some important ways. And then all of a sudden some of these questions come up and it can be very disorienting or, you know, you read the old Testament for the first time and you're like, wait, what? And that this guy seems be, angry. Yeah. The, it can be disorienting. Um, and I think an important place to start is to say, I can, I can believe in Jesus and I can follow him without having to have a perfect airtight um, debate ending um, answer for every possible argument out there. That's not, that's not me saying you don't have to think critically about things or that you shouldn't think critically about things. I think you should. Um, but it is one of those things of you don't have to throw the whole thing away because somebody asks you a question that you don't have an immediate answer to. The other thing that I would say on this question in particular is um, if I am subscribing to, to belief in in God and as he's presented in the Bible in Jesus, what, what I am basically saying is I believe in a being in a person who is both infinite, eternal and outside of time. And what that is going to mean is, um, I can't possibly, <laughs> I can't possibly understand everything that's going on in, in his mind, in his, in some of his actions and some of his, um, and some of his communication, he, the way the Bible says it is that the Lord says, my ways are, it's uh, Isaiah says his ways are higher than my ways. They're beyond my understanding. Who can like, who can fathom the things that the Lord has in store? And that's not to say that I'm trying to ignore the question. It's just kind of a logical thing of like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have a lockdown answer for stuff like this because I'm not infinite. And my and I am not outside of time. I don't see all ends in a in a permanent now, um, in an unbounded now. Um, and that that's a little timey wimey, of course, to to talk like that. But that's that's not who I am. I'm stuck in a in a linear um, experience, and and I have a very finite mind. And most of the time, I'm thinking about things like tortilla chips and comic books. And so, you know, I, my understanding is very very limited. Um, and I say all that to say this, if you talk to theologians, they would, 
they would have a lot of, you know, reasons. If you, if you go to certain websites, they've, they've got this stuff on lockdown. They'll tell you that, you know, that a lot of those, you know, tricky commands and plagues and things in the old Testament were because God had a plan to bring the, the savior of the world through a specific group of people. And because of the, you know, the synchronistic, um, and really messed up people surrounding that group of people that he wanted to bring the savior from, they had to remain distinct. And there was all, you know, great. That's, that's, that's a theological explanation, I guess. And maybe that is helpful and encouraging for some people. Um, at the end of the day, that might not do anything for you. It might not clear anything up and you might not think it's, it holds any water, um, I can tell you that for myself, I don't have a lot of answers on this kind of stuff, but I, this is the place that I've gotten to myself. In what has been revealed, um, Jesus has earned my trust. That's why I believe in him and that's why I follow him. Um, he, um, I believe that he laid his life down for me personally and for anybody who wants to take his offer. And I believe that he did it I believe he sacrificed himself. He was in control of that situation and he did it willingly. And that and the way that he treated people and the way that he talked and his wisdom and his teachings, like he flat out has earned my trust, which means that in places where I don't understand what God is talking about or what Jesus was talking about, I give him the benefit of the doubt. That doesn't answer your question. It doesn't answer everybody's question. It's just the place that I'm at. I'm finite. I live inside of time. There's a lot about God I don't understand. But in what has been revealed, personally for me, he's earned my trust. That's not to say I don't have doubts. That's not to say I don't wrestle with some of the things that he says. But in general, that's where I would kind of begin this conversation, and it's where I would live in kind of the discomfort and the disorientation of finding out some of those things. I think it's a wonderful answer and a great place uh, to land on this. And I would... Uh, totally echo those sentiments. I think a lot of what where I have seen people have these kind of uh, concepts and it's maybe a certain emotional, emotionally loaded version of this with, um, well, God did these awful things. You want me to worship him? Uh, the first thing of that is, um, really, for most people that I'm not directly mentioning to, uh, you can worship God or not. That's up to you. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to sail, make sales pitch on this. Keep that in mind for a later segment. Um, but this idea that like, there's a fundamental idea here that I think is undeniable, which is that's not fair. You know, there's this whole list of things that in a certain interpretation, I would say that this is an inc incorrect interpretation, but it's a, it's a real one to do all these things makes you a bad person. And you, a lot of messages, if you grew up a certain way about your sinfulness and, you know, is anything you didn't, uh, an authority figure like a parent or a pastor didn't like was just you being sinful and rebellious and all this stuff. And that made you untrustworthy and you bad. But then the, the one who's supposed to be the, the one who has it all together, uh, did all this stuff to a, you know, world historical degree. That's a bit tough. And at the kernel, that is something that is absolutely unfair. That is not a fair standard. As Lee points out, the, the way I would reconcile that standard, exactly as Lee is saying, is one of these uh, beings in question is God, creator of all things, and one is not. So that's kind of, yes, there are different standards for right, right. The, the infinite creator of all things and me, a guy. 
but again, I don't think it's, I don't think it's wrong to have that feeling. I also don't think that it is a reasonable expectation to, as Lee's kind of said, have the lockdown arguments of if someone comes and says, Hey, I was made to feel like crap for doing wrong things my entire childhood. And it got lorded over me that I, everything about me was wrong and untrustworthy. And then a lot of the stuff that this deity does in this book, the first half of this book could be credibly described as genocide. So, and if your answer is, well, actually, if you go back to the original Hebrew, you'll see that uh, the command to kill is actually more about uh, murder and, a sense of, and the, the shoots of Jerusalem had to come through this. That's, that's not going to be a satisfactory answer. You're not answering the question they have. Right. And again, I think some of it comes down to, as most things do, um, some people may not be as mad at God as they are mad at, about the people who told them about God and implied that there are, even among people, kind of, well, kind of, there's rules for you guys, but if a pastor or a famous Christian or politician who talks about how much I love Jesus does something awful, well, you know, we forgiveness and grace and all that, but if uh, someone who's sexual identity is different or someone who is poor or someone who doesn't have any influence does this thing. Well, that's just proof that they're awful. That's right. a, that's a very different kind of double standard, but a double standard nonetheless. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, unfortunately, and I think it's one of the things, and we're going to get into this in the next segment also, but like one of the things that just turns people off about, about Christians and about church and about Christianity in general is this need to have everything sewn up. And yeah. to have everything so perfectly understood, I can hold it all in my mind. And the problem with that is if you're going to hold this stuff in your mind that's too big for your mind, you're going to have to saw the ends of it off on one side or the other or sometimes both sides. And it's, that's, there's a, there is a mystery, um, there, there is a mystery to spiritual things and a mystery to God. And by the way, a mystery about the past. And there's a lot that we don't understand. And I think I think it's okay to to let some of that discomfort and mystery um, be what it is. And also, for you, it may be a thing of like, well, then I can't accept it. Okay, well, you're that's where you are on your journey right now. And nobody gets to lord that over you or bully you into a place of accepting a half-baked argument in order, in order for you to be comfy. Um, that's okay. It's okay to be uncomfortable, and it's okay for you to say, like, I'm not there yet. Yeah, absolutely right. To, to exactly that point. Uh, I was, was thinking about this passage in the book of John in chapter 6, where Jesus is uh, teaching, and he's talking about the bread of life, and it's kind of breaks out. It's the most, uh, it's the most kind of explicit and weird and transubstantiation-y. He literally yeah. says, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. The bread that came down from heaven, your ancestors ate manna and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So um, the next thing, starting in John 660, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And I think if we, if we pull the camera back, correct. That's a bonkers thing to say. Yes. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will live forever. If anybody else in human history had said that, they would be rightly labeled some kind of cult leader wacko. So the difference in that is, is Jesus God or not? It's not that 
him saying that makes one or the other more plausible. It's, it's kind of goes the other way. And I think that kind of bears out in what Peter says later, where Jesus asked the 12, do you want to leave too? And so in verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Critically, what Peter did not say is, no, we actually have a, a full understanding of what you were trying to say and how that right. uh, fits in culturally and theologically. That's not a weird thing you said at all about us eating your flesh so we can live forever. That's totally, totally normal. And anyone who doesn't uh, think that that's totally normal <laughs> is rebellious in their spirits. Uh, he said, yeah, no, I, I, I read in this. This is interpretation. A, a tacit acknowledgement of, no, it's really weird. However, we, we, we're stuck. We're, yeah. We, we're, you have, hanging out with you has painted us into a corner. Yeah. Based on the other stuff we've seen, we believe that you are the one being in human history who can say this and it not be insane. It doesn't make the Even fact of saying it less it. insane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make the words less crazy. But that to, where, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He didn't say, I, the thing, no, the thing about eating your flesh, totally normal. Totally get that. He said, <laughs> you have the words of eternal life, and I, we believe that, so we're going to let it ride on this other stuff. And I think that is a, a perfectly reasonable place to, to land on a lot of things, and certainly one where uh, I would echo Lee and saying that's uh, as best a summation as how I'm dealing with all this stuff as I can come up with in a lot of ways. So with that, we're going to turn our attention to something that was sent in by a podcast super fan and who oh boy. If you listen to last week's episode, and, and Lee hasn't yet because it hasn't been released when we're recording this, we, we walked through a, a, an article on the Gospel Coalition that was so insane it got immediately pulled, and there was a board oh, wow. meeting, and the guy who wrote it is no longer a fellow at the Keller Center. Uh, hey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so go back and listen last week because it's it's bonkers. But that said, um, and I, I mentioned that someone sent it in, so it does, doesn't seem like we're picking on them. We got another Gospel Coalition update. <laughs> and this one... It's going great over there, guys. Going great. This one, it must be said, is not uh, to that insane level. We know because it's still up on the website <laughs> and the Instagram, unlike the other thing. And the author is still employed. <laughs> yeah, best we can tell. So the Gospel Coalition shared on their Instagram... Nine benefits of faithful church attendance. You know it's good because it is it comes in the form of an Instagram slideshow. <laughs> and uh, the person who sent it in makes a good point of this doesn't seem to track with any reality. And uh, I agree, but let's hey let's let's not go in with a spirit of judgment. Let's in a Ted Lasso way go in and be curious of what they've got to say here. Uh, number one, church attendance pleases and glorifies God. Citation needed. Yeah. Their, uh, their attempt at that is we can embody this in our eating and drinking, doing good work, 1 Corinthians 10.31. I notice going to church being notably missing from that list. Yes, and... and, and Whatever verse they would give for that, I, I'm guessing they're not going to put in all the ones from the Old Testament where the Lord said, your, um, your, your services of worship and your sacrifices detest me, like, uh, you know, uh, make me sick, and I do not want them. Yeah. 
We're, we're not, probably gonna not going to name check the whitewashed tombs. Yeah, right. So uh, this is the purpose of our existence. We were made to worship. Cool. Um, that's nice. If you think that's true, you should quit your job and be in church all the time. <laughs> you should not be writing articles or making Instagram posts because you're worshiping. So strong start. Uh, number two, church attendance is an act of love to your neighbor. Let's see. Uh, at church, we engage in the means of grace, which God uses to increase our love and make us more like Jesus. In our culture of anger, Christ-like virtues of love, patience, and kindness are in great demand, but short supply. To paraphrase Martin Luther, God doesn't need you to go to church, but your neighbors do. Well, first of all, this is a this is obviously an audio medium, but I wish people could have seen the face that you made after you read that thing out yeah. loud, because it was a doozy. But second of all, I, this is... It's a bit of a coincidence, but Christy and I were at the home of some of our friends last night, and they were kind of telling us a little bit about their spiritual journey. And um, and this lady is looking at us and saying, I just got to a place where every single time I left the church, I was so furious. <laughs> yeah, I don't... And it's worth pointing out at this point as we go through this section, there are definitely churches where this is true. Uh, the church Lee works at is one. I've been there. I've had this experience. But to say that going to church in America, the country the Gospel Coalition is based in, <laughs> categorically makes people less angry is quite a big claim. Also, there the Bible is full of ways for you to actually just love your neighbor. So. Yeah. Again, not not mentioned in going to church. This is kind of a weird circular logic where... Jesus says the most important thing is loving your neighbor. How can you do that? Come to church. So I it's mean, basically like Jesus is saying the most important thing is coming to church. Yeah. I mean, it is a, it, it, you are, you're duct taping some things together for sure there. Uh, I mean, I can't understand if like, if someone's having a hard time and they, they rallied themselves to come to church and you're also there and you can be an encouragement to them, then obviously that is a way that you can love your neighbor. That is not um, the, the church part was the least connective tissue part of that. You can encourage that person in many, many, many ways. There are many ways to love your neighbor is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Also, uh, critically, you say, oh, this is where you learn love and patience and kindness. If you go to church and you uh, connect with people and you feel better and you're less stressed and you're less angry and you take that home to your family, to your neighbors, awesome. As Lee points out, lots of other ways to do that as well. Some people might do that by getting in a good run or going to therapy or, uh, you know, reading a book or whatever. Um, to point out, to say that church is the only way you can uh, cultivate the Christ-like virtues of love, patience, and kindness is, again, a bit of a stretch. <laughs> now, this is where we... So the first two were stretches, I think is the right word, as, as Lee put it. You're, you're taping some stuff together. You're kind of... Uh, the text has a lot of ellipses in it where you've cut out some things and connected some thoughts. Now we get into just, huh? Uh, number three, church attendance can make you smarter. Well, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I, um, you mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't, it, Lee and I are both struggling to come up with any commentary on that. That's not going to get us in trouble. Um, so we, we moved that, but, uh, their, their check for this is, 
Uh, reading the Bible for comprehension requires a working knowledge of vocabulary, grammar, history, and geography. No. No, it doesn't. A, first of all, no, it doesn't. Stop. In the sense of you do not need a functional understanding of North, Middle East, North African geography, nor of uh, early Roman history to get something out of the Bible. So that's crazy pants. Also, um, a lot of what goes on in a lot of churches, particularly on the history side of things, is pretty much working pretty hard to go in the other direction of a correct understanding of history. Especially when we're talking about the mainly white evangelical churches that are represented by the Gospel Coalition. Yep. Also, in your previous slide, you said, to paraphrase Martin Luther, if you had a proper understanding of history, you may realize why paraphrasing Martin Luther is a bit of a slippery slope. (laughs) No comment. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, Number four, church attendance can make you healthier. Somebody's never been to a potluck in the South. Yeah, that's, as as Jim Gaffigan said, uh, have you ever seen biscuits and gravy? They're eating paper mache down there. Yeah. There, whether it be the South, the Midwest, anywhere that where casserole is uh, prime on the church potluck menu, most of those, most of those recipes involve the phrase "add a can of cream of mushroom soup." Yeah, the every community group before the worship service has a box of donuts just right there. Yeah, here you go. Let's see. Let's see what their the Gospel Coalition's read on this is. Uh, This is stewardship theology, not prosperity theology. If you have to start like that. If we we believe our body belongs to God, we'll manage our health for his glory. Okay. A faithful church equips us to live wisely, practice self-control, pursue habits of holiness, and abstain from self-destructive activities that threaten good health. Further, engaging in meaningful, this is their part that's bold and underlined, further, engaging in a meaningful fellowship can reduce both stress and the risk of mortality by 55% among middle-aged adults. Faithful church attendance is an underappreciated resource that most physicians never think to explore with their patients. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) If your doctor brings up, you should go to church, time to find a new doctor. That's really a weird take. Yeah, it's a weird take. Also, I like that their one kind of thing to, to try to put some numbers to this is Engaging in meaningful fellowship can reduce stress and the risk of mortality, 55% among middle-aged adults. I assume, they don't have it linked, but I assume that's among the many studies that there is a crushing loneliness epidemic, specifically among adult men in America, that is having real health um, issues. And I'm having friends and having uh, deep relationships and is a great way to, it has real health benefits. Also, guess who's the least likely to get real friendship at church? Adult hmm. men. Hmm. So as much as I'm sure your quarterly pancake breakfast where you do some kind of sermon about how uh, being a Christian is like cage fighting in some way is, I'm sure, an important initiative. I'm not sure you're really getting all the way there. Well, again, are you likely to be more healthy if you have a good community in your life? Yes. Where you are, you are co-opting that study to say that the only way to do that is church. Yeah, that's that's bonkers. Um, also, a slight a bit, a little bit of uh, laying the groundwork of if you don't come to church, God might give you a heart attack. So that's cool. <laughs> Number five, church attendance can make you happier. Again, hmm. some churches, right? 
and some definitions of happiness. Yeah. That's, uh, let's see. Harvard researchers concluded weekly church attendance effectively improved the physical and mental health of millions of Americans and reduced mortality 20 to 30% over a 15 year period. Other studies assert faithful church attendance helps prevent the despair that leads to early deaths by suicide and alcohol abuse. Weekly interaction with hopeful people is good for your mental health. Again, a lot of assumptions going on there. One is that your church is just necess- necessarily going to be full of hopeful people. That's uh yeesh. Um, also, um, leads to early deaths by suicide and alcohol abuse. That's just being a jerk. Don't put that in your article. Yeah. Don't say that going to a church will stop these things from happening. That's, that's just awful. Yeah. You can't, you, you can't control that or guarantee that. That's not really, that shouldn't be on the sign. Yeah. That's an insane thing to say. And also Harvard researchers, um, when Harvard researchers say other things about stuff, you guys don't like it, but this one mm. you were happy to jump on. So that's fun. Maybe things about like biology. Don't care about that one, but when they agree with our thing, we'll hop in there. Oh, number six, church attendance can make you more generous. Oh yeah. That's factually not the case. Yeah. Ask anyone who works a lunch shift at a restaurant. If that is true. (laughs) Yeah. Look at the annual percentage of charitable giving by uh, so-called self-proclaimed evangelicals in the United States who most of them would believe in a, they would say they believe in kind of a 10% giving model. And most Christians wind up, most evangelical self-proclaimed Christians wind up giving a little over 1.5% to charitable causes. And then churches give about 2% of that, of what, of what they give them away. So that 10% thing isn't happening at multiple levels, layers, which basically what that means is the, I mean, if you looked at some of those percentages, if you just went with the 10% model, if Christians did it, and if churches then did that with what they were given, I mean, the things that, that Christians could solve and take care of as far as poverty, hunger, thirst, and disease in the world is staggering. Yes. If you, a lot of that would also come from giving to things that already exist, not being like, well, we'll start our own well digging thing because we want it to be ours. How's it fun if somebody else's name is on it? Right. Number seven. This is their rewind out here. Church attendance can protect your marriage. Again, I point out that in the English language, can and will are very different words. Yes. Um, an earnest believer hears, as earnest believers hear sermons exhorting husband and wives to love one another. Keep their vows, forgive one another, et cetera, et cetera. Have you guys just Google John MacArthur? Mm. Type it into Twitter. See what comes up. Like you're living in a different universe. Number eight, church attendance can limit the power of the state. So there's a documentary on Hulu called God Forbid. And yeah, don't watch that. If you think this is true. Well, Lee, maybe it's referring to things that happened. I don't know. In the last five years, the gospel <laughs> coalition has a quote from 1840 ah. from French travel writer, Alexis de Tocqueville, who marveled at the way Americans voluntarily and constantly form associations. Oh Tocqueville viewed the church in America as the most potent voluntary association. 
a mediating institution guarding against tyranny. Yes. Your source is a Frenchman from 1840. (laughs) And apparently you read that quote and then closed your eyes so tight and never took any new information in over the last several years. And to cap us off, number nine, according to the Gospel Coalition, benefits of church attendance. I don't know why I'm reading this like an old Letterman top ten list. (laughs) Number nine, church attendance can protect your family against delusional thinking. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah, we're just going to ignore certain letters of the alphabet. I'm particularly thinking of the letter Q for some reason. I won't say why. mean... To go back to our previous question and why we think it's great that you wrote it in, um, not an institute, the church in America, not an institution known for encouraging and cultivating critical thinking. Wow. That is not their deal. This is my thing about this uh, Instagram slideshow is, um, hey, TGC, if you need to make a nine point persuasive essay about why people should go to church. Um, you need to look in the mirror and ask, why don't people want to come to our church? Maybe instead of not, instead of making it their fault, um, we should look at why maybe ask, why aren't people coming anymore? Um, would we be willing to look at the fact that they don't want to be here? Um, would we be, it's an unpleasant place to be. Why would we be willing to, um, I don't know, change some things that people don't like about it? I mean, this the scriptures say that it's it's your job to be salt and light. So if you are bland and deplorable, that's on you, my friend. Um, do I want people to be at the church where I pastor? I, I love when people come to the church where I pastor. Um, I am not in the business of talking anybody into it. If somebody doesn't want to come then maybe we did something that makes them not want to come. Maybe they just don't want to come. We're going to keep roll, rocking and rolling with the folks we have, and um, you might want to take a look at what is it that's causing people to not want to be here. Well, lead to that point, I think we have a microcosm in this article because we got to the slide nine. Church can protect your family against solutional thinking. It starts with a, a Bible verse as the, quote, pillar and buttress of truth, First Timothy 3.15, the church holds up reality to a deceived world. And then he goes on to say this. It's a detachment from historical, anatomical, hormonal, genetic, logical, etymological, and sociological reality to say that a man can marry a man, a woman can marry a woman, a man can be a woman, or a woman can be a man. This is delusional thinking. If that assessment sounds odd or offensive, it's because our generation has been conditioned to believe that things that aren't true. One of the only mediating institutions left in America can... that will clearly say so as a faithful church. You wasted my time with eight boring slides just to hide your transphobia and homophobia at the end. Do you think this might be the reason people don't want to come to church? <laughs> you bait and switched with a really boring article. Yeah, you started with, it's good, it makes God happy, cool. Um, in the middle, you're like, oh, it makes you smarter and healthier. And then you're like, Also, it's a place where you can come and be transphobic. And people, so that's cool. And again, wow. As I pointed out last week, with Jed was looking at the other article. What did any of this have to do with the gospel? Gospel coalition? Huh? I don't recall anything other than talking about 
the conditions under which one can get divorced, really, and that there will be no marriage in heaven, really don't recall much about marriage and nothing about gender identity coming up in the gospel. You know what's really funny is that it, in nine reasons why you should come to church, not not once did they say anything about you know, restoration or the forgiveness of sins or, I don't know, good news that sets a person free. Um, None of that. There was literally nothing about that at all. In in other words, as you're saying, there was nothing about the gospel in an article written by the Gospel Coalition. As a reason, you should go to church. I mean, uh, if we have good news of free forgiveness and eternity in paradise that you don't have to do anything to earn or prove yourself or anything like that, why don't we lead with that? Don't bury the lead. <laughs> yes. Well, to your, to your point about you know you and Chrissy talking with a friend, and they, I, every time I left church, I was so angry. To put it in a really bare-bones context, really the only reason to do anything from this standpoint is you will feel better when you left than when you got there. That's the reason to go to the gym. That's the reason to go to a movie. That's the reason to go to a restaurant. That's the reason to go to a doctor. It's, you know, I will at some, in some way feel better at the end of this than the beginning. Right. Maybe your church should try offering that. Mm. You come in, you know, Start you yell at the kids in the car. You've had a hard week. You don't really know. Have some questions about your identity. It'll be nice. It'll be pleasant. It'll be positive. We'll give you these words of life and whatnot. And then in the end, you'll think, well, I can do, I can do this for another week. That'd be good. Yeah. Let's try that. Yeah. Less hidden homophobia. More of that. <laughs> Gospel coalition. You never, I, I am literally right now, the Malcolm in the middle meme of, I expected nothing yet. You still disappointed me. Gospel coalition. <laughs> All right. On that note, we transition to our last question, which actually is on that note. It comes in and says, when people talk about traditional gender roles, it always weirds me out. Am I being judgmental or is this just a preference? Does it coming up in a church context make it different? Uh, a, a great question. And again, a Lee, I think actually I, we didn't mean for this to happen, but it does kind of slide on with what we were talking about at, at the end of the, the Gospel Coalition nonsense there of you're using some words that sound fine and there's also other stuff going on. So where do we start? You know, um, first of all, you're not being judgmental. You should be weirded out, and I'm glad you're bringing it up. I'm really glad you're bringing it up because, um, th- and this is very important, and this this is important in the context of church stuff and Bible stuff and everything, but it's also important just in the context of culture and life in general. And it's, I'm just going to say it as clearly as possible, gender norms are a construct. Gender Hello. norms are invented. They are a construct. Um, the idea Almost all that, of them invented far more recently than you think. Yes. I mean, the idea that um, it is a, you know, it is a traditional female uh, responsibility to be the person who uh, cooks food for the family. That is a, that is an invented thing of, you know, the American 1950s. Um, and in many, many cultures all over the world and throughout history, that's absolutely completely backwards. Um, all that to say, regard like either way, it's the the man's job to cook or it's the woman's job to cook. These things are completely invented. The important thing for a family is to figure out what's a good balance of who wants to, who likes, enjoys cooking or how can we split that job or, or who despises it or what, what can we do to move towards each other? These are the questions to be answered. All that to say, especially when we look at church and Bible stuff, I, I just think it's so insane 
how, you know, there's this fascination by Christian men to say like, we need to get real manhood back. We need to, we need to clearly define Christian manhood. Christian manhood is, it is, it is strong. It is bold. It is brave. It is, you know, no nonsense. It's basically, you know, like it's, it's the, it's the Mel Gibson portrayal of Braveheart, which was also utter nonsense. Um, utter nonsense by a Nazi, by the way. Um, (laughs) But um, I think it's important to actually look at the scriptures and realize that both Jesus and Paul, um, fairly important figures in this religion, if, if you don't mind my saying, both Jesus and Paul used images in their own teaching and in their own experiences that would be considered by those kinds of people to be, um, you know, traditional female gender roles. Jesus, on the day that he proclaimed himself the the Messiah that they had been, that his people had been waiting on for 3,000 years, he stood outside the city of Jerusalem and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you together under my wings like a hen gathers her chicks. That's what I wanted. And by the way, the Gospel of Luke says he was copiously weeping as he said this. This is Jesus. Sounds pretty woke to me. (laughs) Jesus, the Son of God, copiously weeping, saying, what I wanted to be like was a, a mother hen gathering my little chicks under my wings, and you didn't want that. And that is, it's really hard for me because that's the relationship I wanted. The Apostle Paul saying to the Thessalonians, when I was with you, he said, I was like, I was tender with you. I was like a nursing mother. That's the way I cared for you. <laughs> These guys, like Jesus and Paul, constantly used images on their own ministry and relationships and work that we would consider to be traditional female gender roles. And, um, and and, and, And that's because gender roles are a construct. Tenderness is not inherently female. And and, you know, uh, strength is not inherently male. All of these things are complete nonsense. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and again, a lot of what people are describing as traditional is that is always a red flag word to me because it's an attempt to to boil a lot of stuff over a lot of time down to a thing you should be doing. As you, know, you point out your question, and I, am I being judgmental? And I think Lee's absolutely right. Not when somebody says those words. Now, if someone says, well, actually, um, my wife stays home uh, with our children and I work, and that's just what works for us. If you were to look at that and be like, wow, you've been brainwashed by patriarchy, that would be judgmental because that's people doing what works for them. And that's, that's great. Uh, someone who looks at that situation and says, well, that's just wonderful. And isn't it great to focus on family and people need to work together? but looks at a situation where a husband stays home and the wife goes to work and says, well, that just doesn't seem right to me. That person's full of nonsense. They have no, absolutely no values in this other than uh, kind of some weird thing they're trying to push on people. But I think Lee is absolutely right. You're absolutely full on to be skeptical of that. And if we've learned anything in this episode, there's a lot of people pushing a lot of things that you are perfectly right to be skeptical of. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge, Chicago.tumble.com slash ask. We want to keep that entirely anonymous. Take out the song this week. This is from the pool house guru. His take on Psalm 2710. Take it out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it.
even still. 